about flying in a plane, watching a movie that's been streamed into that plane, and then trying to explain that to somebody who lived 200 years ago. Like, that'd be basically impossible, okay? You get in this big steel thing. It's really heavy. It's not light. It's really heavy. And then you go up in the air, like not just a few feet, but like a few miles, and then you fly at hundreds of miles an hour, and you live. Like, that's the type of thing that just doesn't happen, but for us, like, that's normal. And while you're on those planes, you can watch TV shows. And if you don't like it, you can change it. And the best part is you you didn't need to bring any of that stuff with you when you got on the plane. It's just kind of already there. So in all the inventions that everybody has ever made and everybody has been able to bring into normal life and society, one thing that has never been invented is the ability to reverse through life. We can reverse in our cars but we can't reverse through life. Nobody has a backpedal option in life where you can go back and you can do high school again or you can do college again or you can raise your firstborn again because as a firstborn, we all realize that we're the test case, all right? (laughs) We're the one where mom and dad find out, I really hope this works because if it does, we're gonna try it with the rest of our kids. Like that's how we grew up, all right? Let's just be honest for firstborns. Everybody else, you're lucky, okay? Just we, we shouldered that for you uh, while mom and dad figured out what they're doing. Yeah. But the idea that we can't go back and can't reverse through life means that there's a lot of areas in life where we want to make the right decision the first time. Even if you're like me and you're the type of person who just decides, I'm going to make decisions, and if it works out poorly, so what? I'll fix it. Like everything that we do for the first time, I say this with our staff all the time. We've never done this before. We're going to try it this way this time so that the next time is better. Like we know that sometimes in life, like it's just a grease fire, but we improve through that. We make things better in the future. That means that our decisions as we go through life have to be good. I'm going to let you in on a secret for us as Christians, for people who follow Jesus. There's this term that gets into our heads and into our hearts in a good way sometimes and in a bad way sometimes where it keeps us up at night wondering, am I actually doing this? And that's what we're talking about for the next few weeks, this idea of knowing the will of God. That means that God actually loves you and me enough that he devised and created a plan for our lives. That as he looks at you and me every day, he knows what path he's going to lead us down. He knows what decisions we're going to make, not because he's going to punish us by doing stuff, but he knows the way that our hearts work, and he knows the things that we are going to chase after because those things are interesting to us. And so within that, God actually has a plan for every single one of our lives. And so what we do is we take this idea of knowing the will of God, and we put two words at the end of it because it really keeps us interested. It's knowing the will of God for me. Like every single one of us wants to know what's most important, what's going to work out best for you and for me so that our lives go the way that we want them to. And it's kind of like dogs and cats, all right? Dogs and cats, they're both totally different, okay? Dogs, they look at this human who provides for them, who gives them a place to live, who cleans up their messes, who provides food, who provides water, who provides affection. And dogs look at it and say, man, that person must be absolutely amazing. This idea for us to follow the will of God, the way that dogs follow humans is us saying, okay, God, whatever you want to do, it's going to be good. I trust you completely. If the food's not there today, I'm trusting you that the food is going to come eventually. And it always does. And then water comes, and then back scratches come, and all this stuff. And then there are cats. Okay? Cats look at the big person who provides food, who provides water, who provides toys, and they're like, man, 
I must be so amazing that somebody provides all that stuff for me. How I'm going to respond in, in, like, how am I going to respond in worship is I'm going to sit on your keys and the remote for like three days. So you can't find it. Because you're doing all this stuff for me, so I must be amazing. And instead, it, we're going to go after the first one today. Because we are going to trust God. If you're not here, or sorry, if you're here and you're not yet a Jesus follower, what I want you to clue into today is the idea that nobody likes to make bad decisions. But for us to follow Jesus, for what we believe, I believe that following Jesus makes us better at life and also makes our lives better because we're running after a different scorecard. We're living our lives by a different set of rules that devalues us. And in turn, as we take a step down, what it does is it lifts up everybody around us and somehow it makes our life better. And so we're going to look at a story about somebody who, who encountered the power of Jesus in a way that completely changed them and began to peel back the curtain of what it is for us to actually understand and follow and, and have a relationship with this Jesus. It's a guy named Peter, and when Peter was old after he had followed Jesus for a long time, he sat down with a second person named Mark. And he told Mark all the stories that he learned about Jesus, everything that he saw Jesus do. And the thing that gets me about this story, what we're going to look at, is Peter is like a lot of you guys. He is a blue-collar, scared-of-nothing fisherman. So when you're out on the boat and there's a little bit of, like, little bit of bumps on the seas, like he's not worried about this. But when it's a big enough bump that it actually makes the story, like you know that this stuff just got real. So we're going to be in Mark chapter 4. And we're going to look at a story about Peter and Jesus and some other people. And it begins like this. As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross over to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and they started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. Like it's simple. Jesus gets in the boat with the guys and says, okay, I want us to go this direction. So they all hop in the boat and they go. The first thing that I want to see is that God's will is revealed through our obedience. God's will is revealed through our obedience. Like the whole thing starts with a really simple task. I, I read the stories of Jesus and, and the idea about him feeding thousands of people with one little kid's lunch, like that's way above my head. But all these stories, if you read them, they start out with somebody doing something simple. Like the story of Jesus feeding 5,000 men plus their women and, and the children who came with them. That started with Jesus saying, with one little kid saying, here's my lunchbox. What can you do with this? Like all this stuff starts out with simple things. And Jesus takes simple obedience and does amazing things with it. If we look at God, what is your will? What is your plan for me? What's the path that you've set out for me to follow? Jesus boils it down to something that, that involves all of us, that is doable for all of us. He says, I want you to love me with every single part of your life. And I want you to love your neighbor as yourself. That's something that we can do. That's something that our kids can do. That's something that we can do from today until the day that we die. It's God's will, a complex thing, revealed through simple, step-by-step -step things that we do. So, so what action loves God? Like if we look at this thing and God's will being revealed through our obedience, and God's will for us is in all the little things. Like those, those things that lead to big things, it's the little interactions between us, it's the little things where we take one small risk in one place that leads to a bigger risk. There's a point where Jesus is talking with people about money, and he says, it's really simple. If you're faithful to me with the little things, that proves that you're going to be faithful to me in the large things. 
We're not saying that we can buy off God and somehow buy God's favor. But in every area of your life, Jesus looks at you and me and he says, I love you enough that I'm not just going to put you out to pasture until one day when I need you. This is day by day. I'm going to feed you areas where you can follow me. Every day I'm going to give you small things that you can do to demonstrate the fact that you love me. And sometimes those big things that, that God leads us to are painful because God's will doesn't guarantee that life will always be hashtag blessed. Right? God's will doesn't always guarantee that everything in life is going to be absolutely amazing. Like This is the trend on social media where people will post a picture of something and it's just great and they end with the hashtag blessed. The idea of us being blessed by God doesn't always mean that life is going to go up and to the right because God loves you and me enough and he wants our hearts enough that sometimes he's going to lead us through hard things because he knows that that's where he gets our heart. He knows that that's where we meet him. He knows that that's where everything changes. So the story continues. They're on the boat. They're with Jesus. And soon a fierce storm came up. And high waves were breaking into the boat. And it began to fill with water. And Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. Like Peter says right there, it's a fierce storm. It's not a little storm. This is a professional fisherman who's been on this lake every day of his working life. And he says, this is fierce. This is bad. And the thing is, is that Jesus led him there. We get this picture that if we're following God, that everything's absolutely going to be smooth. But that totally discredits Jesus' life. Jesus, who, who and by all earthly accounts, died as a failure, Okay. He was betrayed by one of his closest friends. He died alone, broke, homeless, publicly executed, naked, with nothing to show for his life's work. Like, that's not the picture of, of, of what, it, that's not the picture of being blessed, right? But God had something else that he was going to do for that. One, one way that one person says it is he uses the greatest possible defeat to bring up the best possible victory. That the history of the world was changed as Jesus hung on the cross and paid a penalty for our sins that he didn't deserve, but we completely deserved. Instead, he paid it for us. It doesn't always mean that life will go up and to the right because God's will doesn't guarantee that everything is always going to be amazing. What it means is that, that that's where God receives glory in your life as mine as we follow him through difficult circumstances. It's easy to do the right thing when it's easy. It's difficult to live for Jesus when everything else says that that's going to be the decision that's going to lead us into more pain. It had been really easy for the disciples to say, you know what, it looks like a storm is coming. A storm could come. I'm not going to follow you because who knows what's going to happen. I'm going to stay here where it's safe. But instead, obedience led them into the storm. And the thing is, is throughout the whole entire storm, throughout my storm, throughout the storm in the books, and throughout your storm, the thing is God is always accessible. God is always accessible. So they obey. And disaster strikes. And then they have an option of what they're going to do. So there's a storm. Jesus is asleep. And the disciples wake him up. They're shouting, teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? I love that because they're almost asking the question sarcastically. Like, seriously, can you get involved? You're the one who's already done a lot of miracles. Can you do something about this? They're frustrated, but in all reality, they're asking a question that we would love to ask, but with a clear head. Jesus, do you actually care about this? Do you care about what's going on in my marriage? Do you care about what's going on with my kids? Do you care what's going on in my life at work? Do you care about what's going on in my physical body? Do you care about this? 
And we see that God is always accessible. This is helpful in life when stuff doesn't go as planned, when it doesn't look like the picture that we want to present to everybody else. Media team is going to put up a picture. Um, this is about three years ago, right about here. Okay, so this is the morning after we closed escrow. Uh, I got here because I had a key, came in, opened all the doors, turned on the whole house fan that used to be in here, um, and and did my shape journal in here because I thought in a couple months we we're going to move into a building. And so you can see like a lot of stuff has changed. Uh, for a while, the before picture looked a whole lot better than the after picture of what we were currently living in. Uh, because we thought that we were going to do like three months of construction, permits would be done by the time that escrow closed, and everything was going to be great. For those of you who lived through that experience with us as a church, like that was not at all the way that it happened. And I wouldn't change it. Doing school two years longer at Sunnyside High, yeah, I wouldn't give that up for us to be in here. The reason is, is because we learned lessons along the way. Being shut down as a campus and moving in with mom and dad at main campus for six months and not having anything happening here in Sunnyside, was that enjoyable? It stretched the heck out of my soul, but it was good. What it did for us as a campus was it made being here a privilege again. It made being here fun and exciting. It made doing church in 108 degrees outside, and then a couple months later, 38 degrees outside. Uh, it meant a thing that, that coming here together as a body was actually a good thing. And I remember posting, that I, we were looking at it last night, and the caption under this is, I'm so excited about what God is going to do through Mountain View Sunnyside. Still true. I can't wait till we can be inside in a few months. I'm like, dude, you had no clue what you were saying or posting because God had a better plan. And through that, God is acceptable. God is accessible. God is accessible. I think what, what he taught me is, is through that whole experience is something that uh, a dead theologian named Martin Luther, the original Martin Luther, not Martin Luther King, the original two words, Martin Luther, he said that impatience is basically telling God that his plan is wrong. And so that's what God revealed to me through a few months of construction that turned into a couple years. And you have all walked through things bigger than that. Is that God not only says you can trust my plan through all this, but you can trust my heart through this. God is fully acceptable. Our response needs to be the same as the disciples. We go to Jesus with our fears. They realize they're about to die. They're realizing that nothing is going the way that they, that they should do. And one thing that they do right, because in every story of Jesus and the disciples, the disciples are always the idiots, and he's the savior. Okay? This is the exception. They actually go to the person who could do something. They wake Jesus, because Jesus is accessible. They say, this is where I need you. And so Jesus moves in. God's will for us is that we know him inside of us to the point where it changes us. That we can follow him through storms, through trials, because we see in our lives and through our lives that it changes us. And that only happens as we realize and we step into the fact that God is accessible. He's accessible through the book that he wrote, the Bible, as he leads us through that, as he speaks to us daily through this. He's accessible through other people. God loves you enough that he's going to put people around you who've walked this road before or walked some journey of this road before who can shape us and mold us and create us into better, closer, tighter Jesus followers as a group and as individuals. God loves you enough that he's going to speak to your brain and your heart just with random things sometimes because he loves you enough and he is wanting to show you how accessible he is. 
And this all happens because of the cross. When Jesus is on the cross, one of the things that he cries out is, God, why have you abandoned me? That abandonment happened because at that moment, Jesus took on the sin of the entire world for all time. Every sin that had ever been committed by anybody who ever lived with a pulse was put on Jesus, and that ran him out of God's presence because God can't be in the presence of sin. So what does Jesus cry on the cross? He says, God, why have you abandoned me? And the truth for those of us who follow Jesus is Jesus was abandoned so we could always have God accessible. Jesus was led out alone to die so that we would never live our lives alone if we're sons and daughters of God, if we've asked Jesus to come into our life and to change us. This only happens because Jesus was abandoned so we could have access to God. And the story continues. When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and he said to the waves, silence, be still. And suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. And then he asked, what? There are two ways to read this. There's angry Jesus where he's staring down at the disciples. He's probably yelling. Spit's probably flying out of his Hebrew mouth. It's Hebrew spit. (laughs) Or there's heavenly father Jesus. I don't know what your dad was like, okay? But picture perfect father. Okay, he gets, goes up. He stops the storm. Everything's calm. And he sits down next to the guys. He's like, hey. And he reads this. He says, why are you afraid? You have no faith. It's like he's coaching them. He's encouraging them. He's saying, guys, trust me in this. I am accessible. Life's not always going to be up and to the right. But through obedience, through you doing the simple things every day, I'm going to do things bigger than what you can do through you. And I'm going to lead you well along the path that I have for your life. The disciples, he says, so he says, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They asked each other. Even the wind and the waves obey him. So this is where we see that God's will is where his power and his love for us come together. Man, it's, it's, it's God revealed as the God who does, the God who flattens storms, the God who brings absolute peace to absolute chaos, and the God who cares. It's both of these things working together to demonstrate to you and me that in our lives, as we go through storms, one, we're not abandoned. We're not abandoned. But two, the God who calmed the storms and led the disciples through that path perfectly can do the same for you and me. As we know the will of God, sometimes it will mean trouble. Sometimes it will mean heartache. Sometimes that life does not go the way that we want it to, but we know that through every step of the way, God's saying, I want you to know me. I want you to know my power. God's will for us is that we know him, we experience his love, and our lives are changed daily as we step into that. Why? Because God knows the answer. God knows that we don't have a reverse button, and so he wants to lead us through life. And for the moments where we wish we had a reverse button, God's there to forgive us, to cleanse us, and to lead us into making that right in the future. Let's stand and let's pray.